said, we are concluding a series in Philippians. So if you want to get a head start, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 as we wrap up this series on resilience. And our tag phrase that we're using this is advancing the story of Jesus in the face of adversity. And um, so one of the things we're talking about this morning, the question I'm going to start off with is uh, many of us, right, we're experiencing adversity, but there's also this idea of the potential of adversity that we have to overcome, right? That there's all these things, these things that may not be adversity now, but they're, they're they, like we wrap our minds around these potential of adversity. And so the question is, what would you say would be the key to of overcoming any adversity that you would ever face in your life? Is there like anything you could choose as one of the keys that you know if you possess this, that you could overcome any adversity you face in your life. Like, wouldn't that be awesome to have that? Like, no matter what, I mean, we've been hearing that the, 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 there's a recession coming in 2023. Like, there's this ad- potential for adversity. But what happens if, you know, you're not even scared about it because you have this key uh, to co- overcome any adversity that you face? That maybe there's a potential for health scare. You, know, you may have a physical thing. And yet, if you have this, you just like confident. Because you know what? I have this key. I have this secret. I have this essence of this thing that no matter what I face, like I'm going to be okay because I, because I have this, I can o- overcome any adversity. Wouldn't that, would you guys say like, if you had those things, wouldn't it be awesome? And you could just be confident and peaceful because you have this. One of those things you might would say would be preparation. Like if, if you just prepare enough, right, you could face any adversity that you, that you want. And that's a little bit what we're doing this morning, I'm not saying preparation is bad, but like Convoy of Hope, one of the things they do is they're preparing for tragedy so that way they are doing it. So, so uh, maybe preparation would be like, hey, if you said preparation would be the key to face any adversity. And so the, the, the point I'd bring up is, do you guys remember this date? And so I know I'm starting to get old when I'm referring to a date when there's like people in the room that aren't born yet. And so do you guys remember December 31st, 1999? Do you guys remember that date? Yeah, right? So this is Y2K, and, and one of the reasons I remember this date is I remember, like, I'm like fifth or sixth grade, and I, I asked my, my parents if we could have wine on, like, New Year's Eve. Can we have, like, alcohol? And, uh, you know, um, I think that'd be concerning, like, why is my fifth or sixth grader asking for alcohol on New Year's Eve? And so it was like, hey, Jesus might be coming back, right? And so, you know, that was the thing. It's like, Jesus... Like, this was, was this potential. Jesus is, like, coming back. Like, our computers, you're like, why was this? Like, some of our younger people was like, why was this such a big deal? Right? Is like, this idea, we didn't think that the computers would be able to handle going from 1999 to 2000. Did anybody, like, could you be willing to admit, like, did you have some anxiety? Anybody want to admit, like, nobody had any anxiety? All right. There was some, right? There was some fear that, like, maybe the economy would crash or that sort of thing. I remember uh, the the... A little bit. There was a family uh, from our church. Um, they were they were pretty anxious about this this date, and so they stockpiled like a bunch of like uh, canned goods. Like their whole basement was like filled to the brim, uh, just to be able to navigate. And um, you know, just in case like you know they weren't able to get food. And so you know they they filled their whole basement storage area had all of this food, ready prepared right for the adversity that may come in two thousand right but nothing happened. And actually, that's kind of how our food pantry got started, was they like, we have all of this food. Um, can you, like, give it away? Uh, 
And so that's like, that's how our food pantry got started in a sense. And that's a different sermon, like how God takes small things, right? And does supernatural things with that. But, but so someone would say like preparation, if you just prepared for all the things, but if you think about that, if you, if you live a life where it's just preparing for all the different adversity, like that doesn't sound like a very fun life, right? Just always preparing for what's next. Always thinking, look at the horizon. What's the threats that we need to prepare for? Like, and, and there's no freedom in that, right? Because you're always thinking about uh, preparing for overcoming adversity. So I wouldn't say uh, uh, preparing is not the key to overcoming ad- every adversity. Well, some would say strength. And so uh, for the first of younger people, you'd have the rock. Like, it's just, you need to be physically strong to prepare for any adversity. So for my older uh, folks, you may think of Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? As like, this is the key to uh, resilience or the key to overcome adversity. And so clearly that's the path I've chosen. And uh, my son likes to point out like, dad, why do you only have one app? And um, donut, son, it's because of donuts. Um, but the reality is we understand that we can't punch our way through every adversity, right? That if we need more than a physical strength. So I'd say strength, physical strength is not the key to overcoming adversity. Some would say maybe money. Money is the key to overcome any adversity. But if you just have enough money, my own, or did I? Okay, good, sorry, I thought I was. And maybe the, the key is, if you just have enough money, you can overcome any adversity that comes. Well, I think many of us would realize that money can't fix everything, right? That there's some things, whether it's even uh, relational adversity or physical adversity, like you can't overcome everything uh, with money. And so what is the key then? What is the key? If you have this, if you possess this, you would be ready and confident that you could overcome any adversity. Well, the good news is the way of Jesus, he shows us the way that as followers in Jesus, we can not only possess this thing, we can live into this reality of, of what it means to be able to, to have this, to possess this uh, power, strength, to overcome any adversity. And so we're looking specifically at the book of Philippians because uh, Paul is, is sharing with that church and showing them this is the key. And what we're going to learn is it's not just one key. It's, there's keys, right, to overcoming adversity. It's not just one silver bullet. It'll lead up to one major thing, though. But Paul, because he himself has gone through quite a bit of adversity. He, he's got to the point where he's been, he's been imprisoned. He's, he's been uh, uh, stoned almost to the point of death. He's, he's lost some relational aspects. He's been kicked out of the synagogue. He's, he's gone through quite a bit of adversity. He's, and he's made it to the other side. And he wants this Philippian church who is also going through adversity and persecution because of Jesus. And he's giving them at this final chapter, here's some practical things that you can possess in your life that's going to help you overcome any adver- adversity you face. And so we're going to look at this morning, what are the key or keys to overcoming every adversity we face? So we're going to be in chapter 4, like I said. We're going to start out in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It's that rejoice. He's telling people to worship, a joyful worship. Let your graciousness be known to everyone that the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we'll talk a little bit this morning about anxiety or anxiousness. 
that word that Paul uses, it's like an old Greek word that literally means to be divided, to be kind of pulled apart, to be distracted. Um, it's like this feeling like you're going, you're going to pieces because you're, you're being pulled apart in different directions. The same word like Jesus used when he said, don't worry about tomorrow, right? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about this key that Paul would say is not letting anxiety run your life. I'm not letting anxiety run your life. And, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about anxiety. I'm not going to talk about the full scope of anxiety because just I don't have time and, and I'm, not, um, I'm not like a psychologist or anything like that. But, and there's different forms of anxiety. So there's, there's like trauma-induced anxiety where there's a trauma that happens. So I'm not going to talk a little bit about that. I'm not talking about acute anxiety, which means like if you see you're like my, like my little child running towards a busy street, and you're like, you have to sprint after them. Like, that's a good anxiety. Like, I'm not talking about that. But I'm going to talk a little bit about this, is this underlying anxiety that we may have, where, where anxiety is kind of running our lives. And even that's that idea of, of just trying to think through all the different threats and outcomes that may happen in our life. And we're trying to, what tends to happen is when anxiety happens, it's, there's a story we're telling ourselves that if this threat happens, if this comes, this is going to be a, an outcome that I don't want. And what often what we do is, in, in the midst of anxiety, is we have this threat, this future potential outcome that we don't want, is we try to control or manage that outcome to a preferable one. Does that, do you guys follow me? So we, we, we have this potential threat, and there's some healthy that, but, but we can be living our lives trying to manage and control all the different outcomes that are desirable that we want. And what Paul is saying is if you live into that, what you're always going to do is you're always going to be living into the future and, and then you're never going to be in the present and, and walk in letting God run your life. Because I don't know about you, when it happens, anxiety happens to me, it's the first threat that happens of a potential outcome that, I'm not, um, that I don't desire, which that outcome would lead to this outcome, which leads to this outcome, and then by the end of it, I'm homeless and uh, Jess left me. And, uh, you know, there's that thing, right? Is, is that's what anxiety tends to happen, is it, it can tend to spiral over and over again. This outcome leads to this outcome, this outcome. Am I the only one? Anyway, um, but, and, and then we just are living a life fueled by anxiety, right? And so Paul is saying that's no way to live. Um, but, and here's the other problem with anxiety, is it says what, what will tend to happen, the message anxiety will give us, is that to the secret to overcoming the anxiety or overcoming that adversity is something with, uh, within us, that it's self-sufficiency, that it's something we have to do, that the pressure is on us to make, to overcome that anxiety. Steve Cuss has a great book um, called Managing Leadership Anxiety. He says this, when we are under pressure, when we're tired, when we're anxious, when we're feeling threatened, our tendency is to depend on ourselves rather than God. He says, anxiety shrinks the power of the gospel because it presents a false gospel, one of self-reliance rather than reliance on God. The gospel of self-reliance is always bad news because it always leads to more anxiety. But if I can learn to notice, eventually name its source and triggers and move past it, I encounter the actual good news of Jesus, the gospel of grace, which always leads to freedom. It's the consistent witness of the New Testament is not that freedom and life, or sorry, 
the consistent witness of the New Testament is that freedom and life come when we deny, we crucify, and are weary of something inside us that shrinks the gospel. And so we need, what he, I, he questions this, what is, in it, what is it inside us that gets in the way? So Paul says, right, do not be anxious about anything, about anything. Don't let anxiety run your life. But what does he say? But in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. In everything, right? And so what he's trying to teach is not to have a life run by anxiety or what self-sufficiency. We see one of the keys is living a life of God dependence. It's our lives dependent on God. It's and that's the way we do that, and we do that through prayer, as he says. He, he points out, right? Prayer, petition, a thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so we're going to do a whole series uh, starting next week, just talking about, for six weeks, talking about this idea of, of living a God-dependent life through prayer. But that, what I, I don't know about you, but this is, this is how I navigate things, is sometimes I try to, to manage that outcome that I want myself and then if it doesn't work, then I pray. Anybody else? Any, uh, you know, like anybody else? That's how I tend to operate, right? Is the first thing is I'll work really hard, try to get the outcome I want. And if I don't get it, then it's like, God, come bail me out, right? Can you make this happen? But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, right, in everything, the first thing we should go to is prayer, seeking God, like making your request, any request, everything taking it to God. I was teaching on prayer uh, in, uh, as a youth pastor a few years ago, and I had a student, and, um, you know, like just like every teenager, he's wanting to make money, wanting more money. And, um, and so his bright idea was um, to, to get chickens, and to, which would have been great in this season because eggs are expensive. But, um, but, you know, like when a parent, so he's asking his parents, like, can I have some chickens? You know, like the parents, like, come on, do deal with chickens. Like, so... But she didn't want to discourage him. She said, you know, just pray about it. You know, pray about, pray about getting chickens. And so he's like, all right, I'll pray. So he started praying. Like literally like two days later, his neighbor knocks on his door. He's like, hey, could you guys use some chickens? And, um, and he's like, it works. Like praying works. You know, and so, he, you know, that's how he started his chicken farm for a while. But there was this any and everything. We might go like, God answers prayers about chickens. You know, there's, there's certain things like that. But, but that's the encouragement is don't let anxiety run your life, but in everything, pray about it. But I'm, I'm sure many of us have been there, though, where we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and nothing's happening. And we can be super discouraged, right? It's, it's, and you're making your requests known to God. And yet, it's like sometimes it feels like it's getting worse. You know, I just had a friend reach out to me even the last couple of weeks. And he's like, Johnny, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling because I am praying. I'm, I'm, I'm the ask, seek, knock scripture. I mean, that's the most hardest scripture sometimes because I am praying. And I'm praying through this project over and over again. And it seems like the more I pray, it's like the outcomes, not even as an undesirable outcome, but it gets worse. It's even worse than I expected. He's like, I'm just, I can't even pray because it's like, I'm, I'm afraid if I keep praying, I'm just going to keep getting disappointed. And I think that's a situation, though, too, where it's now the adversity not, is now dictating and distorting our view of God. It's, it's the adversity that we're working through that now is, is putting this filter on how we see God and, and how we see the gospel. 
and the story that Jesus wants to write. And sometimes we get into those places where that begins to distort how we view God. And so what do we do in those situations? What do you do when, when we keep on praying? Because as you guys see the outcome, when you pray, the outcome was, right, in the peace of God, that's that shalom, the wholeness of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so maybe we've been in that place, we're praying, we're praying, and yet we don't have that peace. Or we continue to struggle. What do we do then? Luckily, Paul continues. He's going to give us another tool or another key. In verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Maybe some of your translations would have, think about these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. That word dwell, I'm going to just give you a little breakdown. That means to reckon or to consider. It's, a, it's more of like a pondering, even a wrestling in your mind. It, it comes from the word logical, to where we get the word logical. So it, it basically, it's, it properly means to take into account to come to a bottom line or to come to a reasonable, reasonable or logical conclusion. This is what it means. It's like this debate that goes on in your head. And this is what Paul is saying, is you need to, to wrestle with these things, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any moral excellence, and anything worth praiseworthy. He says, think on these things. And the other imperative or the other command, he says, is do which means to put into practice. It means it's a regular practice or routine or a habit. So you guys follow me. So, so let me give you a summation of where we're at. Anxiety tells us a story, right? A false gospel that says if this happens, right? It's telling a story in our mind that if this thing happens, this adversity happens, it's going to lead to this outcome and it becomes the spiral of death and our lives are going to be over and all that sort of thing. So this is the story, the narrative that anxiety tells us. But what Paul is saying, instead of letting your mind dwell on that thing, let your mind go through the spiral, he's saying, instead, fix and dwell, come to logical conclusion on the God reality of life. And let that come to a conclusion of where you're, what life is going to be like. And so that's the importance of this, scripture, right? Whatever is truth, this is God's reality. See, anxiety will try to tell us a different reality of how the world is running, a, a reality that's God's absent. Do you ever find yourself, like, when you go through that the spiral of death, to even stop and go, where's God in that story? Like, because normally God's kind of out of that picture. It's a reality that God's not in. But this, what Paul is saying, is actually create this habit, this ongoing routine, where you're letting your mind be saturated and soaked in the reality of God's reality. And you're letting that narrative dictate your life. And so this is super important because the secret to overcoming anxiety or adversity, this adversity in our mind, is, is a prayer life talking to God, but it's, the, it's a regular practice and habits of a thought life in God. And so I'm going to give you one of those practices, one of those things you can do, and, and actually a Christian counselor helped me through it and some other different resources from Emotionally Focused, <clears throat> to put together a regular practice when you're in that that, that story anxiety is telling you to stop that story and then 
to saturate your mind with God's reality. Okay, so I'll give you some practical things uh, for that. Some things you can journal through that. But the thing is, if that becomes our routine, if that becomes our habit, do you guys see the outcome? Do you see it? Do you see it in here? He says, and the God of peace will be with you. That word peace means, again, wholeness. And now we get to live out of that, this reality of God's with us. Romans 8, 6, right? The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Yet, there's one more thing Paul wants to get us. So we have a prayer life. We have our thought life. Yet there's one final key aspect, the secret of facing any adversity. Jump down to verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. You guys ready? Here it is. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, yeah, so that's it, right? Sorry, we're having this issue with our uh, software that it just crashes our computer. So it's a great, great problem to have, I think. So Keaton's doing a great job. So don't like give Keaton the like desk there like dude next slide bro um we're working on it Phil's working on it but here's that did you guys catch the key right they call it the Tim Tebow verse um in all circumstances in any circumstance here's the key that no matter what adversity you face he says what that it, it it's I would be able to do all things I will be able to walk through any adversity that comes my way. I'll be able to face anything that life throws at me. Why? Because I can do it through the Him who strengthens me. So again, again, the, the lie anxiety will say it's about self-sufficiency. Paul's saying it's about Christ's sufficiency. It's Christ in you. And so here's how sometimes I read that verse. Okay, I did it in college. This is what I would do is like I wouldn't study very well. And I, I wasn't really walking with Jesus much in my college days, but I really wanted the outcome of a good grade on the test. And so I, before every test, 15 minutes before, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ with strength to me. I can get an A, even though I didn't study. And so sometimes I think that's how we read that verse though, don't we? Is, is I have this outcome that I want. I have this outcome that I think I need. I have Jesus. Give me the strength to get this outcome. That's not how we read the verse, right? That's not what Paul's saying. It's no matter the outcome, no matter what life throws at me, no matter what the worst news I could ever get, I can get through that adversity because I have Christ in me. It's not self-sufficiency. I don't, I don't possess the strength in me myself i don't have the preparation i don't obviously have the physical strength i obviously don't have the money but i have something way more valuable that can get me through any adversity that i ever face 
I have Christ in me. Jesus in me. The promise is no matter what, what Paul has learned is I've faced near death. I've faced imprisonment. I'm literally chained uh, in prison. I've learned the secret of being content is I have Jesus in me. That is the strength. I have a resilient strength. And not only is a resilient strength, but I have a resilient trust in Jesus. So one of the things we work through, one of the things I'm working through is getting to a place where I see the anxiety, I acknowledge it, I'm aware of it, I pray about it, I say, here's my desired outcome, but God, I'm not going to try to manipulate or control that outcome. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to live a life of an open hand that says, I'm willing to take whatever comes to me, and I'm able to walk with whatever that is. So for Paul, for him, it was imprisonment. That, that doesn't seem like a great outcome, right? Paul in his imprisonment could say, right, God, you're really with me? Like, you can really answer all my prayers? Why would you have me in prison? Again, it could distort his view on God. But what he's, he's, he said even in chapter 1, it's because of this, like the whole imperial guard now knows about Jesus and they've heard the gospel. And so it's looking at no matter adversity we go through, whatever whatever comes at us is we have this resilient strength because it's Christ in us, but that comes with a resilient trust. It's one of the things I've been working with my spiritual director is how do you have high desire to live a life of desire that says, God, these are the things I want. I'm praying about these desires. High trust that says, Jesus, I'm trusting you with the outcome of all these things, but having low outcome. Or what what's, what's maybe some of you are familiar with is, is a, a term called holy indifference. It means I'm just indifferent to anything that else is your will and what you have for me in my life. This is what it means to, to overcome any adversity we face. It's a resilient strength that comes from a resilient trust. And so again, I want to give you some practical things in order for not only you to to live a life by God dependency of, of prayer, which we're going to talk again about the next weeks, six weeks, but even the thought life. And how do you, you know, just maintain your mind to think on God's reality? And so there's a journey, journaling practice. I have prints out of these in the back if you want to grab those. Uh, but the first one is just a five-step thing. Um, you know, it's a journaling practice. I like to do this because it requires me to use another part of my brain. There's uh, things I can go to on that but it's just steps when you find yourself anxious and you're, you feel like anxiety is running in your life, here's five steps that you can methodically do that actually will, again, get your mind in God's reality. The first step is just noticing and acknowledging you're anxious. You kind of feel this in your body. Um, you get aware of it. For me, it's a racing mind. Like my mind just goes a million miles an hour. Sometimes it's a pit in your stomach. There's a tension in your neck. Um, if you get really brave, like ask your spouse or maybe someone's close to you, like, how do you know when I'm anxious? You know, I, I won't share what my wife does. It's okay. Um, but, um, right, because we, we tend to do these things and you can tell when anxiety is running your life. So first is noticing it and then just getting present to what happened. What made you get anxious? What did you hear? Was it, a, was it something you heard? Uh, was it the way your boss talked to you? was what, what happened. And then the step three is, again, anxiety or emotions or storytellers. 
So it's getting to the place, what is the story I'm telling myself or what's the story anxiety is trying to tell me? Maybe it's what is this threat and what's this potential outcome that I feel like I can't handle right now? And so you just write it out. My, my, my counselor recommended just, just use it as evidence. Like if you're in a court and say, no, I have reason to be anxious because A, B, and C, and if this happens and this happens and this happens, you come to that logical conclusion. But then the, the fourth step is really important. Is this really true? Is this really true? If you were in a court of law and you had to argue this, would it stand up in court? What is true? What is this saying? What's the gospel story say? And so you then step four, just like in a court case, if you were a defendant, then you can maybe go, what, what's God doing in, in the midst of this adversity? And so you start writing out and you provide evidence of what is the story that, the gospel, that God wants to write even in the midst of this adversity? What, what does God want to show to me? And then the final step is then what is a counter instinctual action to, to live out that gospel story, not the anxiety story? You guys follow me? So again, this is not a one and done thing, right? Paul says do means create a routine or a habit. So, so sometimes I have to do that on a daily basis. I got to write out, saturate my thought life in God. The other step on the backside and the next step Again, this comes from uh, Steve Cuss's book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, is anxiety it is often a warning sign that's saying we need something or something we think we need in order to be okay. And so what he recommends you doing is a prayer because you'll begin to notice what gives you anxiety over and over again. And so what he says is, is to fill in this blank, Jesus died so I don't have to blank anymore. Or Jesus died to free me from needing blank anymore. So I'll just share things for me. You know, Jesus died for me to free me from needing people's approval anymore. Jesus died to free me from needing success anymore. Jesus died to free me from needing control anymore. Jesus died to free me from security or self-sufficiency or not needing anybody or having my life together. You guys follow me? You guys get that? This is what anxiety would try to say, you need this in your life in order to be okay. The promise and the freedom that, that the gospel brings is, is Jesus, his strength, him in you, right? That's what you need. So you gotta get present to that. That's an ongoing prayer. When I find myself anxious, because some of those times anxiety can be rooted in those things. And so, it's the ongoing practice, a routine, a habit that we do over and over again. So this, obviously, you can tell this is a lot of work. This isn't a, uh, here's a silver bullet, take this multivitamin, and you'll never have anxiety again. This is a, this is a, a reality of, of, of cultivating a trust in Jesus and following Jesus with your whole life and walking with him. So obviously, that, that takes a lot of work. So I want to highlight again that we have a, a part of our discipleship pathway is a thing called Emotionally Focused. It's a thing we partner with. It's out of Mile High Vineyard. And normally it starts off with a weekend intensive on Zoom, but Delaware City, uh, the Delaware City Vineyard up in Delaware, they're doing an in-person one on March 3rd and March 4th. And so part of we have a group that is actually going up there. And so you would be by yourself if you decided to do that. And kind of the goal is they're going to do that to bring an in-person emotionally focused intensive here. 
And so that's part of why you're going. So if you are interested in that, you can register online, but that's something you could take a little bit of what I covered and then begin cultivating that in your life. I have one final key aspect, one kind of, kind of key thing that Paul alludes to here at the end. That's another key to overcoming adversity. You're like, really, Johnny? I thought you were weighing in this plane. Here we go. I'll be short. Verse 14, right after that, I, I can do all things through Christ. Verse 14 says, still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. Chapter 1 begins towards the end of the, 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 this letter that Paul wrote. He's writing this church, and he says, because of your partnership in the gospel. So Paul is saying this key to, or I mean, adversity, right, is partnering, not doing it by yourself. A resilient strength and a resilient trust is not a solo act. It's not a do, DIY, do it yourself. There's this key aspect throughout all of this letter and overcoming adversity is it's a communal thing. It's doing life together. It's overcoming obstacles together. And you see this theme, not just in Philippians, but in pretty much every letter Paul writes. The, the goal of the church is to carry each other's burdens, to pray for each other when we don't feel like we have the strength to pray, to be the voice of God's reality when the voice of anxiety and adversity is what's shouting in their heads. You, you follow me? Sometimes you just need people to be the voice of God in your life because you, you cannot do it by yourself. You can't. Jesus, I mean, Paul over and over again shows that this is a partnership. It's something you do with people. Advancing the story of Jesus is not a solo project. It's a communal project that you do in a group, you do together, and we do for our city. And you, you need other people. I can't, I can't emphasize this enough because it's been key for my life. It's been key for my family's life. It's been key for this church. Is, is we're in this together because there's a lot of adversity that comes our way. And we get to shoulder it together to be, we need to be the strength when, we're, when they are weak, right? And when we're weak, you guys need to be my strength. Like we need, I need you. Right? I've learned self-sufficiency doesn't work. Self-sufficiency doesn't work. It's a communal thing. We need each other. So with that, let's stand and let's pray.